What's up, guys? We're going to choose podcast. My name is Solomon Ali at Solomon Ali NBA on Twitter. You're joined by the very first guest of my video podcasting journey, Adam Spolane of Sports Radio 610. Adam, how you doing? Whenever you want to do a video podcast, I'm definitely the first guest that you want to have on. There's no question about that. <laughs> yeah, we're not. We're both not good at this tech stuff at all. It's 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 like it's a pain. It's it's really a hassle. Yeah, it doesn't help when you're not very smart like me. So no, no, I'm not very smart either. Like and like I used to do these podcasts through the phone, and now I'm just having yeah. to do it this way. Those are the glory days. Yeah, yeah. I mean. Yeah, I guess this is, this is what it's going to be now. It's just, we we got to get used to this. I mean, I guess I got used to Zoom press conferences. I can get used to this. There you go. Yeah. Okay. So for the past five years, I've made my annual trek out to Las Vegas for NBA Summer League. And I bring all my podcasting equipment. I get a hotel room. And I set up camp in like the, Co- the Cox Pavilion. Like, in fact, I think, Adam, you and I actually recorded an emergency podcast at the Vegas airport uh, for the, at, after the Westbrook for Chris Paul trade. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Nice. Right yeah. before we got on the red eye. Yeah, it was, it was definitely something I don't think either of us expected we thought it was a possibility. We didn't think it was going to happen that day, like that that specific timing. And it happened during, literally during the middle of a Rockets summer league game. I was I was there, and like I I, I had to go, I had to leave the arena to like just make sure I was reading the notifications correctly on my phone. But that's summer league, though. That that's that's just the vibe. Like it's just crazy stuff can happen during summer league. There's executives, players, coaches. They're all just walking around. They're all easily accessible. It's like it's it's really hard to describe, but you have to go out there if you're an NBA fan. It's like a once in a lifetime experience, and it's like one of those things where like you can kind of compare it to All Star Weekend, but it's not like All Star Weekend in that there everybody's accessible. You can just walk down. You, I think you can buy a ticket and just walk down and like onto the floor and like sit down courtside or something and like you can like talk to like the executives if they actually want to talk to you of course yeah i wouldn't say it's quite like you can't just like walk onto the floor but you can get into the arena and you i can believe get close you can get enough where you want uh, yeah yeah it, though it's it's summer league so i don't know how much you actually want to do that <laughs> no no you don't want to get onto the actual floor but what i'm saying is like you, these guys are so easy to access. You can find them inside casinos, hotel rooms. You can find them in the hallways of, of the arena. And they're just walking around. And, like, a lot of them are so easy to spot because they're all, like, six foot eight <laughs> and above. And um, it, it's, it's crazy. It's, it's just something I would definitely recommend, especially if you work in sports. Like, it's a great networking opportunity. Um, you know, I, I get a lot of email. I'm sure you do too, about people trying to break into the, the business. And I always recommend go go out to summer league at least once, make some connections. It's it's a nice place to go network. Yeah, literally the whole league is there. Uh, media executives, players. It, it's somewhat similar to the baseball winter meetings, except the big difference is that there's games going on and the players are actually there. The players usually don't show up to the to the baseball winter meetings. It's all execs and media and agents. But for this. It's players who, and it's basically every single, like you look at the Rockets, they basically had every single player in Vegas on the roster except for one. I mean, that's just how much the whole league just converges on this one event every single summer. 
Yeah, I'm a little worried that these top prospects are going to start like opting out after a couple games. Like it's it's just going to be the norm now. But I, I'm my hope is that these top guys just came out because of injuries, right? Like this is a little different than like them just like saying, okay, we're going to shut these guys down for load management or something. Like so, like Paulo Boncaro actually got hurt, right? Um, and same thing with Jaden Ivey. So like I'm sure, like I, that's what I would have done. I would have shut them down after that, but. I'm worried that they might take that opportunity to take it one step further. You know, I'm going to play my two games, then I'm done. I, I've done my duties, or I've, I, I'm going to play one game, then I'm going to leave. Like, that's that's the worry. But in general, you'll be able to see the fir- the top prospects if you get out there early enough. I mean, in all honesty, it's not the player's call. I mean, they are so early in the, in their careers that this is the team's call. This game, once you play that game, once you play this game. And then maybe we'll shut you down after the third game or after the fourth game, kind of all depending on what it is. But uh, it's somewhat – it's not the most important thing in the world, but it's good just to get these guys out there, get them playing under NBA rules for the first time, get them with not all the guys, but some of the guys that they're going to play with uh, once you get to the regular season. And it's a good chance to get a look at maybe some guys that you don't know all that well, whether it's guys who were with you in the G League last year in the past or guys that you simply didn't draft and you kind of liked out of college. Yeah, and like there's a bunch of scouts there. Obviously, if, if these if some of these guys aren't going to make the team, so they might be scouted for international prospects or other teams. Like it, it, it's it's a it's definitely an event, uh, and it, it's it's really fun. I, I enjoy it a lot, especially those first couple of days. The last couple of days end up being kind of a drag, especially after the prospects come out. But um, it's fun. Um, so, anyways, I go every year, and this year I decide not to attend because I came back from vacation. Um, and like, this was like a day or two before summer league started. And I was just too, t- too tired to hop onto a flight and spend a few days there. Adam, you were there. Uh, first of all, did you win any money? No, no. Did you, did you try? No, no. of course I tried, but okay. you know, all right. yeah, I mean, there's a reason why all those hotels get built every single year. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's fun. It's fun. I mean, listen, like I, I don't have the best of luck, but I do try my hand at blackjack at roulette. And I don't spend too much time there when, I, you know, when I'm there for Summer League, but it's definitely interesting to see, like, Chandler Parsons at the table across from you <laughs> just, just with, like, a crowd of people around him as he's trying to play crabs. You know, it's just it's funny. And throwing around lots of money, I'm, sure, I'm assuming. Oh, yeah, yeah. That, that particular time, yeah, he was. Um, so uh, the Rockets had three first-round picks this year, including uh, third overall pick Jabari Smith Jr., they had four last year, including second overall pick Jalen Green. Uh, I got to be honest with you. Uh, the Rockets were kind of a hard watch uh, this year for Summer League. And that's not to say it wasn't an important crop of talent for them. It was just different. Like the Cade versus Jalen thing was very much top of mind. And Jalen was making a very compelling case uh, for the number one overall pick, like just based off of how, how he was playing. And then off to the side, Alperin Shingun was like very loudly introducing himself to most of the basketball world, uh, those first two games last year felt like a show because we were being introduced to like the future offensive anchors of the organization. And this year, other than the last two years, other than the last two games of like Jabari Smith Jr., like it kind of felt like the opposite. It very much felt like we were being introduced to like the defensive anchors, the glue guys, like players like Smith and Tari Eason, who are obviously very important to the organization and could end up becoming stars in their roles. And, and in Smith's case, um, that all-star ceiling is real, but it's more of like a supportive star play, uh, kind of vibe 
um, in comparison to Green and Shangoon. And last year, you know, again, it felt like a show. And this year kind of felt like a little bit of homework, fun homework, again, because you're watching basketball, but it wasn't the same. Did you get that kind of vibe in the arena? Like, did uh, am I making any sense to you? When you were watching the games, how did it feel? Like, was there, like, that same large swath of people there to see Jalen Green to go see Jabari? I, I think that there were probably more people at Summer League this year than there were last year. And I'll be honest with you, I, I was at the first Rocket Summer League game last year, so I believe they played Cleveland, and that was terrible basketball. I mean, it was a terrible basketball game. Sure, but and it felt like a show, game, right? All- I mean, it's it's summer league, it, and it, it does feel like a show when you have the top picks out there because those are the guys who everybody wants to see. Uh, but the basketball is never good. I mean, you have you're basically throwing together a roster, letting them practice for five days, and then sending them out into a game, and it it usually doesn't go all that well. So I don't think that this summer league was any different than last summer league. I, I do think that it was a little bit different with Jalen green, just because of the athleticism and some of the things that he can do. You're not going to see Jabari Smith do that. You're not going to see Jabari Smith just like glide through the air and throw down huge dunks the way that Jalen green did. But I, I was at the game uh, on Saturday. It was Oklahoma city. So you had Chet Holmgren and Josh Giddy against uh, the Rockets guys. And the first game that day went really long. That was that Kings game that went to, went to overtime and then there was a Detroit-Washington game that was also going long. And Detroit, I think, or no, it was Washington who was fouling guys at the end of the game to try and extend it, to try and come from behind to win the game. And the crowd is booing because this game is taking long and they want to see Chet against Jabari. So I, I thought that it was the same show this past uh, season, or this, this past weekend, as it is for every summer league that involves the top players. Here comes Curmudgeon Adam out here saying this is bad basketball, not enjoyable well, it's, to watch. It, it's it's not great basketball. I mean, it just it's, it just it's not, but it's fun. Like it, 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 it can be bad, and, but it can be fun. Yeah, you're seeing guys uh, on an NBA floor, essentially an NBA floor that you haven't really seen before. Uh, it's interesting to see the guys try and come together, and I do think that the Rockets. You've seen some gradual improvement over these four games just because they played together a little bit. I mean, they, like I said, they threw together a roster and they practiced for, I believe five days in Houston before they flew out to Vegas. They practice uh, on the off days, except for Tuesday. So they had a practice uh, when they got to Vegas on Wednesday, they practiced on Friday. Um, they practiced on Sunday as well. And then they practiced Wednesday before the game last night. So you, you see them get some work in. You're, you're trying to familiarize all these guys with what they're going to be expected to do uh, once they get into camp in September. And then you're trying to get a look at some other guys just to see if they might have a future with your organization. Well, anyways, like the point I was trying to make before you went all old man yells at cloud on me was like the it, the the crop of players this year feels very different from the, the crop of players last year. Like last year, they were drafting very much offensive first talent. And this year, it was very much defensive first talent. Like it was very much like supporting guys, like cr- like guys who fit in, make a lot of sense, logical picks. Right. Um, and the games were like different. Like the, the games were like in last year, it felt very much like, OK, who's whoever scores the most is going to end up winning the game. This year it felt like, okay, whoever, you know, keeps their opponent under 90 points is going to win the game. It felt very different. And like it, it was a different type of kind of feel just watching it on TV. Obviously it's different. You were actually there. You might have, you might have got a different experience. It just felt like when I went, when I went to a Jalen Green game, there was a giant like crowd behind me wanting to go watch uh, Jalen Green uh, because of, uh, part of it is because Jalen did a lot of talking too. 
uh, ahead of last year's summer league. I'm not sure if you remember, like he like trash talked uh, the city of Detroit. Uh, he talked about how um, he um, he deserved to go number one, and like Jabari didn't do, really do much of that. He just kind of you know did the typical vanilla you know player quote stuff, and it was uh, it was different. Yeah, I, I just think that there was the same sort of anticipation. Uh, with the game that I saw, or the, with the first game that I saw with uh, with Oklahoma City and uh, and the Rockets, is what I saw last year when it was Cleveland and the Rockets. I mean, there is still fair enough. You had you had the two two of the top three picks in the draft. Uh, you had the fans in the arena wanting that game to start and wanting the game before it to end. So I, I think that just from the way that the crowd reacted to it, I mean, there was a huge crowd on Saturday for that game. There wasn't as much of a crowd on Monday, but there was an absolutely huge crowd on Saturday for that game. So I still think there was the same anticipation, just, you know, maybe from a rocket sense, it was different because Jalen Green was the number two pick in the draft and the Rockets hadn't had a first round pick in what a, a half dozen years almost. So I think that's why maybe it would have felt different from the rocket side of things last year, just because you had a top pick. Whereas, you know, this year kind of felt like, okay, it's business as usual. Here we go, another top pick. Yeah, and it was kind of different, right? Like like Jalen gets the ball early in possessions, right? And Jabara, you kind of have to wait for him to get his opportunities. It was just different, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah. Right, so let's talk about Jabari Smith. So okay. he starts off offensively a little slow, right? Defensively, really saw those chops early on. Can switch onto the perimeter, really versatile, blocked a lot of shots, Um the instincts on defense are definitely there. Uh, and he, sh- he shows promise of eventually becoming a good rim protector one day. You know, maybe he could potentially slide down to center. But, you know, the, the switchability that was advertised with him is there. It's, it's there. He can, he can really defend out, defend out there on the perimeter. And he has a hell of a motor on him. Um, and, you know, he just, shots just weren't going in. It happens. You know, sometimes they'd go in, sometimes they weren't. And I also felt like... Uh, the first two games were uh, very much dominated by Josh Christopher, which, you know, they should be dominated by Josh Christopher. He's a second-year player. Uh, he was the established guy. He was, he was playing well. The, I, thought, I thought so. Even though he didn't shoot the ball well that second game, I thought he was playing pretty well. And um, he, got the, he was very much the guy uh, for the Rockets. And, you know, Jalen uh, Jabari Smith Jr. was kind of, you know, when that happens— in summer league, when a guard's just kind of commanding so much offense like that, you know, guys like Jabari Smith Jr. kind of get pushed off to the side. Very natural, not something I didn't anticipate could happen. And you know, he when he when you're not making your shots and you're pretty much only touching the the ball like when you're expected to shoot a spot up three, you know, and you don't that that's what happens. You know, you have kind of rough offensive games, but then he picks it up. Right, the third game. He really starts hitting his shots. He had like 19 points with like zero dribbles or something. Uh, something, something ridiculous. Really starts hitting his threes. Gets to the free throw line um, and shows people what kind of what kind of uh, prospect that others were envisioning when they were putting him at the top of their board, right? Like the, that kind of number one overall type of prospect. And that last game, I thought it was actually more impressive than that third game because he was doing stuff off the dribble, right? Like more impressive things, like in terms of one dribble pull-ups, obviously, uh, but, you know, the spin move to the, the bank shot to driving into contact to getting to the free throw line. Like I think at the end of the game, he got seven free throw attempts. Um, and he made like, ze- he made zero threes. He was 0 for 5 from three. And he still produced offensively uh, while still being that impact defensive player that we talked about earlier. Like he was... I thought really impressive and that kind of player 
if he can become uh, that right at the NBA level, which is really hard to do, uh, just judging off of his limited ball handling ability right now. But if he can become an advanced enough ball handler to where he's actually able to do the stuff he did in that last game, um, you know, the Rockets should be pretty happy with what they got at number three. Which, what was your impression of Jabari? I, mean, I think the Rockets are going to be happy regardless. I mean, he's really talented. Um, you can you got to see all the things that he was really good at. And he was probably the best defender in the entire draft. And, you know, he's the best defender and probably the best uh, perimeter defender in the entire draft. And that's just a guy who's... Uh, sorry, oh, you're, you're, you're cutting off. Can you say it again? So I, I think that they're going to be happy with him regardless, just because he went into the draft. He was probably the best defender in the entire draft, probably the best perimeter defender in the entire draft. And he's six foot 10. He's really long. He's switchable. As he said, um, the offense, I don't necessarily, you know, the offense will come and he's going to have plenty of opportunities to get open looks He's going to have some of the best. He's going to have at least one of the best guards probably in the league, Jalen green, who can help create offense for him. He'll have to learn how to cut a little bit. He'll have to kind of pick up on those instincts. But I do think that uh, the one thing that I've heard about him is just the competitiveness and how I think that was something that's really going to, uh, will will go over to the rest of his teammates. And you saw him diving on the floor in the Oklahoma City game trying to trying to steal a possession uh, as that game was coming down into crunch time. He did a really good job defending Chet Holmgren in that game. Uh, I just think they have to be thrilled with what they got for him. And he's he's a different prospect. He's a different kind of prospect for a guy who was drafted third in the draft and who was thought of being, you know, the two was going to be the top pick in the draft right up until about a half hour before just because he's he's probably never not going to be a guy who averages 20 a game and I was talking to an exec for from a team who picked in the top 10 and he told me that they had Jabari Smith number one on their board and they kind of had him on their board number one knowing that he will probably never average 20 in a game but he's an elite defender he's an elite knockdown shooter which those are skills especially for a big that you really want to have in today's NBA and he just does all those little makes all those little plays that contribute to winning basketball games and the Rockets don't need a 30 point a game score because they have Jalen Green over there they have some other guys they'll have Kevin Porter Jr. Um, they have plenty of cap space moving forward to try and add other scores to the roster um so they need they needed an elite defender. You need guys like that. You need guys who are going to spread the floor for you. And he's exactly what they want. So I I think he was he's a perfect fit for what they want to do. He's the perfect fit for how they want to play. And I think that he showed that over these four games in Vegas. Yes, but I I think if he were to become a better ball handler, if he were to do some of the stuff that uh, you know many people think he can become, right? Like so. The way I think of Jabari Smith Jr. is like the floor is Rashard Lewis, which Rashard Lewis is a very damn good, like a pretty damn good basketball player, like two time All Star, like a good defensive player, like one of the very first like stretch versatile fours, right? Like guys, guy who was actually taking like four, five, six attempts from beyond the three point line uh, for the Orlando Magic. Um, really got unlocked midway through his career, so you kind of have that question. You know, what if what if teams actually played him at power forward and played him uh, and had him shoot more threes early on? What would have happened? But um, that's kind of like the floor. If if he if Jabari ends up being that, like that's an awesome fit for next to Alperin Shingun, Jalen Green. Like those guys are gonna are gonna create for others and score. Uh, and he, and all he has to do is kind of fit in and be the ultimate. Uh, role player like the a supersized role player that ends up having all-star impact right and 
that's kind of what I view as like okay that that's that's a realistic if you're if that's if that's your comp I'm I, I'm okay with that. Um, Lamarcus Aldridge kind of like a medium median outcome for him I would say. Uh, that pull up to uh, he loves getting to it obviously that's one of his favorite moves loves pulling up from two, and you know he obviously at the college level loved fading away from two. And if he can do, if he can advance some of that ball handling just a little bit, doesn't have to get too crazy. But if he advances that ball handling a little bit to where he's not getting stripped uh, as regularly or dribbling, dribbling it off his foot, I think that that kind of median outcome is very achievable for him. And I think that's kind of the player, you know, if if Lamarcus Aldridge with the, with the three pointer and defensive versatility, right? That kind of player is extremely valuable in the modern NBA. And the ceiling. I'm not going to go Kevin Durant. Like, I think that was absolutely bananas that people were comparing him to Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant is, like, one of the best ball handlers uh, for that size ever. Maybe the best ball handler for that size ever. Uh, he was a shooting guard coming out of college. Uh, that, that's where P.J. Carlissimo placed him. Maybe that's because he didn't know how to use him, but that, that's, that just kind of tells you, like, the guy could handle the basketball uh, really well, really advanced uh, coming out of college. Jabari is not that, but... Can he become Paul George, right? Like, that's like the ceiling, ultimate, ultimate. If he hits all of his boxes, if he becomes a better ball handler, Paul George obviously came out of the, came out of the draft, was not the best ball handler. If, if he becomes a better ball handler, if he uh, can pull up off, off the dribble uh, for those jumpers, if he, you know, can display craft with his footwork, like he, he had a spin move move last night, if he can do all that and, like, really maximize his abilities as a switch defender – um and can can play three three through five like that's that's paul george right like that's 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 a hell of a valuable basketball player that's a that's probably uh, he's probably unlikely to reach that ceiling but that's kind of how i view like floor richard lewis um you know median outcome lamarcus aldridge with a three-pointer and versatility defensively and ceiling kind of paul george and if that's how you view Jabari Smith Jr. as a prospect, I think that's a healthy way of viewing him as opposed to you know the Kevin Durant stuff, which was kind of really getting out of hand uh, before the draft. And it made me uncomfortable because watching him, I never got that feel. I disagree with the floor just because you're, you're comparing him to Richard Lewis, and offensively that makes sense. But already he's a much better defender than Richard Lewis ever was. So that that's kind of what I'm talking about, just with the uniqueness of. The He's a better defender, that, but not much better. Like exactly, the, yeah, not much. Richard Lewis never. Richard Lewis can guard people. That wasn't he could. the strength of his game. He but could. He, 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 it was okay. To he me, was a big reason that Orlando is, defense was like top in the NBA in 2008 and like through 2010. Like that, like that Orlando uh, defense hinged on on Richard and Dwight in that back line. Obviously, Dwight carrying more it, of that work, but Richard was, was very capable of defending Dwight, multiple positions. The White covered up a lot of their issues defensively. But to you're, me, acting, he like, is, you're acting like Dwight alone made them a top defense in the NBA when like they had Tito Turgulu out there. You think Tito Turgulu was out there like making them uh, additionally good defensively? They also had to have good the Jameer Nelson. Like somebody else on that team had to be good defensively. It was Richard Lewis. The White. It was Dwight. 
Come on. Well, it I wasn't one it player was, can't anchor a defense like that. Yes, dude. Like it's, not like that. Not like that. That's why that's why Utah has always been very good the Utah was always good defensively because Rudy Gobert was there anchoring things. I mean but they they, they weren't as good when they didn't have good defensive players though. Like last year they didn't have that many good defensive players and they barely reached the top ten. Like I'm, I'm, it gets okay. you it gets you into the top ten. Like one player can get you there. But you need multiple players to get you above that level, which is what, where Orlando was. Like, Rashard Lewis was a good defender. He wasn't, I think Jabari Smith Jr., I agree, he is a better defender, but not much better. Like, Jabari, like, like Rashard Lewis, like, mid, midway through his career, became a plus defender. And Rashard, I mean, Dwight was obviously the linchpin, but he was very good and very helpful towards them becoming an NBA Finals team. I'm just saying to me, Jabari Smith is Aaron Gordon if Aaron Gordon could shoot, or he is like Michael Porter, or or he is you know Michael Porter if Michael Porter could defend. That's kind of where that's kind of the the comp that I have for Jabari Smith right now is that he is Aaron Gordon if Aaron Gordon could shoot, or he is Michael Porter Jr. if Michael Porter Jr. could defend. So that's kind of what you're working with just as a baseline for Jabari Smith. Will the ball handling stuff come? Absolutely, it will. I mean that's just that's just simple player development. And I don't think there's but, any doubt that – and that's that's going to be one of the big things I'm sure that they work on with him is the ball handling because that's what they're working on with all these guys right now because that's one of the things that, that they that's really going to be – when we talk about this team getting better, they want to get better in two areas. The first is defense. The second is turnovers because they were terrible. At, they, were, they were real bad at defense last year. They were also really bad at taking care of the basketball, which is why they're spending a lot of time on ball handling stuff right now this summer. So I'm sure that that is something that they are going to work on with Jabari Smith, but I don't know how much he needs to actually handle the basketball, at least not right now because they have other guys who are going to handle the basketball. And I think that you're going to see them really put the ball in the hands of Kevin Porter and put the ball in the hands of Jalen Green and let those guys go to work. And, you know, they're, they're not going to – I guess the best way to put it is they're not going to ask Jabari Smith to handle the basketball at this early stage. I think that's one of the things that will come as, uh, as his career progresses. Well, we agree. Like, I, they don't. He doesn't have to do that for them, right? Like, he's a perfect fit as is. Like, if he hits that floor uh, that we're kind of talking about, whether, whether you think it's a Michael Bridger who can defend, which I don't think is a crazy comparison, or, or you know, Rashard Lewis. I don't think, um, like, if he becomes those kinds of players, I think that's not a bad. Uh, like him just going in floor in, like reaching his floor. It's not bad, but to reach the median or the ceiling, you know the you know, the LaMarcus Arges I was talking about or the Paul George I was talking about, that's where the ball handling does have to improve, right? Like, that's where this is not, like, like the the ball handling is something that he's going to have to really, really work on. And, yes, I agree that they're obviously going to work on that with them. That's, you know, player development. Of course, they all they, everybody works on ball handling. But the, but the baseline that you start with is important, right? Like, Paulo Boncaro is starting with a much higher baseline than Jabari and same thing with like like a lot of players like he like I'm not I'm not it's not it's not a fair comparison but what I'm saying is everybody his age is going to be working on ball handling but so this idea that yes he's going to work on it but everybody else is going to work on it as well so that rate of improvement is is not you know it's it's, you're going to equal out or you're going to you're going to reach a point where like unless you're really killing it and you you display outlier player development you are going to you have kind of a ceiling or you you have kind of a it's very hard for you to reach that ceiling and that's why i think it's perfectly healthy to view him as that you know guy who doesn't have to be 
the 20-point-a-game score. But as long as you recognize that if you're expecting him to be more, you're expecting him to display some outlier player development, that's fine. You know, you can project that. You're Everyone's allowed to project that with anybody. But, you know, as of right now, that is going to be something that he struggles with. But I think, he, again, like... I, I feel like saying all this makes me sound like a hater. I like Jabari Smith Jr. Like, I think he's a very good basketball player, and I think he could make an all-star team or two um, with just what he ends up becoming right now, his floor his floor outcome. But, you know, I just think that, you know, a scout once told me, like, listen, like, you, you can say he's going to work on it. He's going to work on it. He's going to work on it. But everybody else is also going to work on it. So you have to keep that in mind as you talk about these guys. But would you rather would you rather have the elite defender or would you rather have the elite ball handler? Especially for the elite team? ball handler. For me, I would in much rather in, have in the general. elite defender. In general, elite ball handler. Because the, because I offensive ba- have- offensive basketball players are more import- important than defensive basketball players. Just always NBA history. Are they like, yeah. So let me ask you something. In today's NBA, the two teams that played in the finals. Golden State and Boston, they finished 1-2 in defensive efficiency last season. So you're starting to see that it's really nice to have high-level defenders, and especially once you get into April, May, and June. Defense is what wins those games. And so you look at the teams that were playing for the championship last year, they were all elite defensive teams. Yeah. So for me, I want the On I want a the team guy- level, of course, but we're talking yes, about but- as an individual level. Like, like, of course, you need to have a good te- team defense, but it is easier to cobble together a good team de- defense with role players than it is to cobble together a good offense with role players. Like, you, it's very hard to do that with just role players. You can do that. You can manage to do that, pull that off uh, with defensive players. Like, the Rockets did that at one point. Like, they got Clint Capella and P.J. Tucker and, like, Trevor Ariza, like, good role player, good defensive role players, and they were, like, a top-five defense in the NBA. Like, you can do that. You can't do it the other way around. Like, you may be able to do it one season, but not consistently. Like, the Atlanta Hawks did it one season, right, with Mike Budenhoser, but they didn't do it for a a consistent stretch because that's very difficult to achieve. I mean, I I guess, but... I, it's not they have other guys who can handle the basketball. So if I get this elite six oh, you're, 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 you're cutting off. Can you say it again? I'm sorry. So I, I think that I don't think it's necessarily that big. I mean, I, I would for me, I would much rather have the elite six foot ten defender who can guard everyone one through five and can do it at a really high level and can make shots from the outside, especially on a team that has guards already, or at least they have the one guard and they will have the ability to add other guards. I, you can't just find a guy who for me is six foot 10 and can guard everybody on the floor. I, I just think that it's really hard to find guys like that. And he can also shoot the ball. Like It is harder to find ball, a six ten ball handler though. It is, is, is harder to find a 6'10 ball handler as, as polished as, as I Paolo. Just don't, I just don't know if they need it at this point. No, I, but, I no, just, you, you and I agree. Here's like, In terms of needs for this team, Jabari fits better than Paolo. I agree. We're talking about as we rate them as prospects, and when you, when you rate them out as prospects, I'm taking the guy that's 6'10, polished ball handler, and can facilitate for others over you know Jabari any day of the week. But like that doesn't, that doesn't necessarily make, make the other guy bad. It just makes one guy clearly more important to generally I don't, winning I see, basketball. I don't, think, I don't think it's a clear thing. And just talking to people who were in Vegas, you know, I mentioned this already. You had one team that was picking in the top 10 saying they had Jabari Smith over Paolo Bancaro. I didn't hear anyone else tell me, yeah, we had 
we had Paolo Bancaro over Jabari Smith. I didn't hear any, there were no, but nobody from, from another team said that to me. So I, I do think that the Bancaro stuff is nice and he's really talented and he's going to be really good. But in terms of like contributing to winning basketball games, I would rather have Jabari Smith. I will come back to this in five years, I guess. I mean, like I, I I'm taking Paolo. I'm sorry. I just, I just, that guy like is so difficult to find out there in the wild, you know, like the, just someone who can handle the basketball like that actually show, actually burden um, some offensive workload. And like, that doesn't mean like, again, if I don't want to sound, come off as a hater. Like it's just, I, that doesn't mean Jabari's not valuable, right? It's just like relative to that guy. I think he's less valuable. He's at least a little bit, but uh, we spent too much time on him. I want to talk about Tari Eason because Tari Eason was a guy that uh, just last week, like like going on draft night, I was like, "Damn!" Like I, so Easton makes sense for the Rockets. I I one hundred percent agree that he makes a lot of sense. But man, I think I wish they would have taken Mal- Malachi Branham there. I, th- I like Malachi Branham a lot. I think he slots in uh, pretty well next to, uh, in for Houston. But you know, obviously, um, a lot of people had Tari Easton as as this kind of fringe lottery guy. Some even had him in the lottery. And I was talking to this analytics guy last week, uh, works for an NBA team. He told me, uh, and I'm not going to say where he had him on his board because I think he'd be pretty upset if I said that. Uh, you know, these guys keep this stuff really proprietary. But um, he had him in his top 10. And the guy was just a, a highly impactful defensive player at the college level, apparently, and it really showed up on the modeling uh, systems because, uh, j- like, Tari Eason was, like, an, a, a giant analytic starling, and it's hilarious how, you know, they midway through, through the first round, they took the analytic starling again last year with Chengdu and this year with Eason. Uh, but anyways, um, yeah, I, I took that, you know, I kept that in mind as I was watching their summer league games, and Tari Eason is absolutely killing it. Like, he's absolutely killing it. Um, you know, missed a couple layups last night, but in general, the impact defensively, his anticipation in the passing lanes, uh, his um, his athleticism is just, like, it, it, you know, you see it um, you see it in summer league, and it really comes off to you, right? Like, that's, like, one of the first things you notice is how athletic he is and how well-built he is for the modern NBA and his ability to r- get out in transition, uh, run on offense and on defense. Um, his his IQs, like, I, I think the guy uh, is playing, like, a lottery-level talent right now. I, I, he looks like a, a killer pick for Houston at 16. I'd love to see the reaction in the Rockets' uh, draft room when Easton fell to them because he is perfect for them. Um, he does all those little things that you really want. He knows how to find. He knows how to find his areas on the floor, especially offensively. Uh, he knows the. He knows where to be. He knows where to be in the right place. Uh, if, if the jump shot can ever get consistent, then he's he's got a chance to be a really special player for them. You already talked about the defense. I mean, LSU was an elite defensive team this past season, and he was a big reason uh, for it. And um, you know, he's he started his college career, I believe, with Cincinnati. So he kind of just joined LSU, and, and he really fit into that program really well. So, yeah, I do think that he he's perfect for them. I, I thought that was kind of a perfect guy for them when that spot came up. I know that they liked him. Uh, right, Obviously, they liked him right before the draft. And uh, everything that you saw from him, everything that you've seen from him so far tells you he's going to be a pretty impactful guy for them moving forward. And the shooting improvement he made from his freshman year to sophomore year was, was real. It was killer. Like, like it was – like he went like he went up like twenty three percent free throw percentage, and like went up from like a third a low thirties three point shooter to like mid thirties. Uh, 
And like that is pretty unheard of in in one year of development. And like that just shows you the guy's a hard worker. Uh, he took in his weaknesses and and made them you know strengths. Like he is a legitimate three and D four with with lots of length. The guy is huge, like long arms, um, perfect for the modern NBA. And you know more importantly for the Rockets conversation, it really in addition to Jabari, it helps insulate uh, Alperen Sengun defensively. Right, they're really surrounding him with like high-level, impactful defenders that can make up for what Shangun potentially isn't, uh, you know, in the future. And like, I think next they're really setting it up for him to succeed. Right, like if he's going to succeed, they it's not because of his environment. If Shangun is is a star, it's not like if he's not a star, it's not because the Rockets didn't do everything in their ability to you know prevent to you know foster that kind of environment. Like they have done a very good job at putting defenders at all five positions except for Jalen Green, obviously. And I, I, I'm really, I think next year is going to be a really fun year for Alper and Shangun, man. I, I, I'm writing about it right now, but next year is really going to be, um, you know, just for me at least, like Shangun's going to be a player to watch uh, in terms of see, like he gets the starting spot, the runway's clear for him. He's got all these defenders uh, surrounding him, and the floor is going to be more, you know, better spaced, obviously. Uh, he's going to have a ton of passing options um, when he when he looks out onto the perimeter from the high post, and I I can't wait to watch him next year. Yeah, they're like you said, they're going to have shooters all around. I mean, whether it's Porter or Green, or we'll see what they do at the three with Gordon or or, or KPJ. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, or so yeah, there there are a lot of different options that they have. Um, Easton is a guy who you can't. You, you can't forget about him when he's on the floor just because he's going to find the right place to be and Shengun is going to be able to find him as well. I think that's what's kind of interesting to about those about pairing those two together is that um, Eason's going to find holes in the defense and Shengun has the ability to get him the ball in those holes basically on every spot of, of the floor. So that's impactful. I, I do think with Eason it gives you, and Jabari at the same time, it gives you a little bit of versatility where, I mean, you've seen them start uh, Smith at center in the summer league games, and they've had uh, Easton next to him at the four. I think that you can kind of go with Shangun at the five, Smith at the four, Easton at the three, and then if you want to downsize, I think that can work as well. So I think it, it provides them with a lot of lineup options that they can go with when the, whenever the season starts, not just this next season, but the seasons after that. I mean, can you imagine like hit ahead passes uh, from Shangun to Easton? Because Easton leaks out a ton. Right, like once the defensive possession's over, Easton's out there on the break. And can you imagine like Shangun grabbing the board and just throwing it to him in transition? Like that's going to be a really fun tandem. Well, I, the the Easton leak out thing is nice, but you, they got to make sure that they actually control the rebound, and that's another area where they have to get a lot better at this next season is rebounding. They were twenty fifth and twenty fifth or twenty sixth in defensive rebounding. It was a big reason why they were such a poor defensive team. So. That that all that stuff that you're talking about is nice. They really need to focus on making sure that they actually get the rebound before we start getting into into push ahead passes. What'd you think of the the backup point guard battle between uh Ty Ty Washington and Dacian Nix? Because I gotta be honest, like I, I get why people are intrigued by Dacian Nix. I, I I just I find it very hard to buy into. Uh I just like I like I get it. Like he's long, he's he, you know, he's strong. Uh, he really go you know, can get to the basket whenever he wants. The finishing ability is just not there. 
Uh, the shooting is, you know, it's fine. Um, like, I, I'm not, I just, I don't know what it's going to take. Like, I don't believe in the passing. I don't know what it's going to take for him to really, like, sell me. I'm not, I'm not the biggest uh, Dacia Knicks fan. And at the same time, I wasn't the biggest Ty Ty fan. But Ty Ty, like, at least, re- like, resembles, like, a normal point guard. Like, right, he makes, like, point guard plays. He's very good at or, at offense organization, right? And, like, you saw that even in spurts at the Summer League. He didn't, it's not like he had this crazy high usage or anything. Uh, but, like, when he did get the ball, he did a pretty good job at, like, getting others involved and kind of organizing whatever offense he had, in, you know, at the time. And, you know, I'm, I'd be interesting to see what kind of deci- what decision Houston makes at that backup point guard spot because there's going to be minutes there. I mean, obviously, the bulk of the minutes are going to go to KPJ, Jalen Green, and Josh Christopher at the guard spots. But after that, I mean, there's there's a spot there for someone to go out there and earn it. Um, so I, I'd be interested to see, you know, where the Rockets had to go with that. Like, what'd you think of that battle? Uh, I know the Rockets are absolutely thrilled with what Knicks has done over the course of the summer. They are very, very high on him. Um, are I you? He had, he had, uh, yeah, I, I became more and more sold on him uh, during summer league. Uh, he did not have a good game on Thursday. He did not play well in that first game against Orlando. But in the, the, the two games after that I was at, I thought he was really good. I thought he was really good, really impactful. Uh, he's got elite vision as a point guard. Uh, I think he's I, I think he's a really good passer too. He made some passes in, in those two games that very few players can actually make. And I would really like to see because they didn't play together very much last year. But obviously Porter and Green are going to start together. I want to see how much they stagger those two because I think that you could have a really good backcourt duo with Green and with Knicks because just Knicks's ability to get guys the ball I think is very very underrated. And when those two, when Green and Knicks played together, it was only 36 minutes, so the sample size is really small, but they had an offensive rating of 115.4 in those minutes, which is as good as it gets offensively. So I really want to see those two play together. I I think it's going to be hard for for Washington to get minutes at least early on because I I think that they know who their top four guards are right now. I think it's going to be, obviously, it's going to be Porter and Green and then Christopher and Knicks coming off the bench. So I'm not sure exactly where Washington fits here in year one. I do think, obviously, I know they like him. I know they had him rated a whole lot higher than 29th. I think he's got a chance to be really good. I think he's a really smart player. Uh, he's, He's similar to Porter in a way where he... He can play point guard. He can get to the basket. He can create his own shot for for himself. Um, so I know that they like him. I, I think that if he were a couple inches taller, then I think that maybe uh, it, draft day is a little bit different for him. But I think right now for me, the guard depth chart, at least at point guard, it's Porter one and then it's Knicks two. And we'll see what happens because it's not like Porter's spot on this team has been solidified in the future. I mean, he's a free agent at the end of the season. I don't know what they're going to do there. I don't think that they're going to extend him before the season. I know I wouldn't extend him before the season. But you know, if you told me that it's possible that the two point guards of the future of this team are Dacian Nix and, and Ty Ty Washington, I would not be at all surprised. Yeah, I, I, I am kind of uh, – it is kind of an underrated storyline that uh, – that Kevin Porter Jr. hasn't got extended yet. Uh, it is something that we talked a lot about heading into the offseason, whether or not that would happen. Uh, and it hasn't happened. And just like no one's no one's really talking about it. Um, but yeah, I, I, I view Ty Ty uh, very similar to you. We, we could not be, disagree more about Dacian Knicks. But uh, it's just like, I, I think that's going to be a position that Houston plays with in the future, right? I don't think there's an obvious answer there. Uh, I think Houston's going to have to get a look at all three of these guys um, and decide, you know, which one they like. Maybe, you know, maybe not, maybe it's none of them. Maybe it's maybe uh, they have to, you know, go get that guy later on. You know, not all these uh, 
decisions are made in the draft or, you know, not all these guys, like some, they might have to go acquire a free agent or make a trade or something. You know, this is one of those things where um, team building is not always like a perfect, okay, we get this guy in the draft, then we get this guy, then we get this guy, then we're done. Like maybe if you're the Spurs, it happens like that sometimes. But even the Spurs, they went out and got Boris Dia on free agency, right? Like they, they even they play the free agency game a little bit. So it's one of those things where I, I will be very interested to see what Houston does at point guard. Well, and also remember, I mean, they're going to have another premium pick in this draft. They're they are not going to win a lot of games. Um, I think that they would be lucky to get to 28. It, if they are really trying to win all those games and you know they're not going to down the stretch in all likelihood, the rest of the West is going to be so much better than they are. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. So they're going to add a premium pick. They're going to have a ton of cap space um, this summer and the summer after that. So this roster, obviously, it's not set by any stretch of the imagination. They're going to have the ability to improve it in other ways. So the guys that they have now, that's not going to be necessarily be their team two or three years from now. So... Um... By the way, did you want to make a wager on that win total? I actually think they're going to be a little bit better than you think. I I, I think they can get to thirty. I th- I think I think that's a, a possibility. You want to you want you want you want to put a wager on that? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Go I'm ahead. Game. I'm game because like they, I really your price. Think, okay. Uh, we'll talk about it off the air. We'll talk about it off the air. I, I'm I'm game though. I like I I think I think Shingun's going to be a little bit better. Uh, I think um, Jalen Green's going to be obviously more confident in his role. I think that extended stretch to end last season, I think he's going to continue that going into start this season. You know, um, and if he's that guy, and if if Shengun is who I think he could be, I think that, that a lot of this is me betting on Shengun, right? And uh, the Rockets are doing a good job of insulating him defensively. And if if, if that if all that, all that happens. I think they're going to make some real strides here. I, th- I think I really like what they're doing. Like I, I really do. Like it makes a lot of logical sense to me. Um, you know, even, the only one, the one guy that that you know, it's a little bit of a conundrum to me is like what they're doing with Cam Porter. But aside from that, like I, I understand what they're doing. I see the vision. I, I kind of believe what Rafael is selling here. I wrote about it um, last week. I oh, know this week. Like that, that vision, the puzzle pieces, all that stuff, it's starting to fit together and make sense when you take a step back. You know, some of the individual decisions I may have disagreed with here and there, but more broadly, I, it makes sense. And like, I, I think, I think, you know, you're going to see a lot of coalesce together because at some point, these impact players that they're they're taking at the top of the draft have to make an impact, and they have to get, they have to, uh, you know, accelerate some of their wins. Right? They're, they have to win at least a little bit more. And I think you know they won 20 games last year. You know, betting that they win win 10 more games, I'm not, I'm game for that. I think they can. I mean, fine with me. <laughs> Here, here's my question. I, I'm with you. I, I think that what they've done uh, the last two years makes a lot of sense, and I I think the moves have been really smart. And but I'm going to name the teams in the West. I want you to tell me: Are the Rockets yes or no? Are the Rockets better than this team? Phoenix? No. Memphis? No. Golden State? No. Dallas? No. Utah? No. Well, well, hold on. We don't know. Utah is a star. Let's put a star next to Utah. We don't know. Depends on what happens with Donovan Mitchell. No. Minnesota? No. Uh, New Orleans? No. The Clippers? No. San Antonio. Maybe. Yeah, I, I'd say yeah, they're going to be better than San Antonio. 
The Lakers. The Lakers. No, they're not going to be better than Lakers. Sacramento. I'm going to say no. Portland. No. Oklahoma City. Yes. I mean, I think that's. I would pick. I would say Oklahoma City is better today than the Rockets are. But is that because of Shea? Yeah, I mean they have an all-star quality guard. Plus they have they have a few more veterans on their team than the Rockets have. But basically, I'm running through this because I'm going through all these teams in the West, and I can only pick one team that the Rockets are going to be better than this next season. That's why I, that's why I'm not saying they're going to win a lot more games than they did last year, just because the West is going to be so much better. And all these teams. How, the how many did I pick? Be, I, you said thirty, or how many? Did you, how many did you say the Rockets were, would be better than? Yeah. I think you said the Rockets might be better. You, you said Utah put a star on Utah, depending on what happens with Mitchell. You said Oklahoma City. You said San Antonio. For me, it's just San Antonio. Okay, yeah. I mean, and I, I think the bad teams this year aren't going to be really, really bad. I think there's going to be more of a dispersion there. Um, like I think you're probably going to the worst team in the NBA might win 25 games this year, as opposed to. Uh, you know, well, yeah. I mean, really, again, like the the one, the one question mark there is Utah. So I, I don't want to say the worst team in the NBA might win twenty five. Like Utah might be pretty bad, depending on what what they trade Mitchell for. But um, yeah, I, I will go under thirty wins for the Rockets. Okay, I say thirty. I say, and we'll, we'll talk. We'll come back to this. I, listen, I'm get, I'm. I will come back. You'll have, you'll come on the show again. I'll I'll eat crow. I don't mind. Uh, this is fun for me. Okay. So you uh, let's talk the actual Rockets, right? The ones that are actually going to play next year. Uh, we basically know for a fact that the following players will be starting next year. Kevin Porter Jr., Jalen Green, Jabari Smith Jr., Alperin Shingun. That's four. We don't know who the fifth guy is. You know, I would have suspected, you know, it was going to be Eric Gordon. But you talked to, you talked to Steven Silas um, a couple of days ago about this. And... He seemed to hint at the idea that Jay Sean Tate takes that spot. And first of all, I think that's, if Eric Gordon's still on the roster, I think it's a bad idea. I tell you, I'd rather start Eric Gordon. Uh, the, I think the floor spacing is more clear. I think Jay Sean Tate's a four, and you know Jabari's a four. Uh, it, it just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I, I think it's going to be too cramped. Um, and second of all, Eric Gordon already kind of wants to know where his place on the team is going to be. Right, he's already started to talk about money. Uh, you know, that interview with Tim McMahon's a great example of this, right? Like, if I'm going to be here, I we need to start talking extension. And if that's the case, um, you pissing him off more by putting him as a bench player, I, I don't think I don't think that's a, that's a wise move. And if 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 Jay Sean Tate is indeed going to be the starting, if that's what they're planning for, that to me kind of indicates that that Steven Silas might have some sort of idea from the front office that Eric Gordon has a trade lined up or they have a trade lined up for Eric Gordon. Because otherwise, I can't envision another scenario where Jay Sean Tate starts over Eric Gordon. Well, I, listen, I, I don't know about any of that stuff. I'll, just when, when Silas was talking about it, he basically said the reason why he would – and I shouldn't – basically, he wants Jay Sean Tate on the floor with Alperin Chingu was basically his explanation just because he thought, and and I guess it bears out from just how last year played out, 
when Tate was on the floor, teams would put their centers on him. And then that would kind of ruin what they wanted to do offensively. And the reason that he wants Tate on the floor with Shingun is that teams have to put their centers on Shingun. That frees things up a little bit more for Tate because now they teams can't put their, their center on Tate. So that's kind of the reasoning, it seems, that they want to have, that, that they would put Tate in the starting lineup is to make sure that as many of his minutes as possible are shared with Shingun. Uh, I don't I personally I don't really care who starts I don't think it's that big a deal I, I've said this quite a bit over the years I just because a guy starts doesn't mean he's one of your five best one of your five best players uh, well, I, I think, think the lineup to has to make sense right like I, th- I think like last year when they started Daniel Tice and uh and Christian Wood like like the that lineup clearly didn't make sense and we thought that at the beginning of the season and it it bore out right? like it, and it could end up being one of those things where it's like okay now we don't know what to do with Daniel Tice right and like if they if they start a lineup that doesn't make sense again like I don't understand the logic in that you know I I just I, I see where it makes sense though I guess is the point because Tate's part of your team you know they extended Tate he's been a really good player for them over the last couple of years. So, and want, and not wanting teams to put centers on him, that makes some sense. And they thought that, and Silas thought that that really cramped their offense quite a bit when teams did that. So we'll see what happens, you know, when the season starts, we'll see what happens with Gordon. We'll see what happens with everyone else. Maybe they try this out and it doesn't work. You know, that's, that's part of this process is that you have to experiment with things and tweak things and see if this works, if that works, we'll see what, see what works well together. Because, you know, I, I do think that you look at them, and if you have Jalen, if you have uh, Jay Sean Tate and, and Jabari Smith Jr. on the floor together, you have a chance to be a pretty good defense. It might not be great for your offense, but that's part of this whole process is figuring out which five man lineups work well and which five man lineups don't work well. And, you know, maybe last year, I think you, you can easily say that they probably spent a little too much time uh, trying to figure out how things worked with Tice, but they had given Tice a, a good amount of money. So I think that they were kind of committed to trying to at least make that work and i will say as bad as the offense was when that with that starting lineup the defense was actually decent i mean the defense completely fell off a cliff uh once tice was taken out of the starting lineup that's when they became a historically bad defense last year but um part of this is just you're experimenting they aren't trying to necessarily win games this next season the goal isn't to make the playoffs the goal isn't to make the play-in uh i don't think like i said I, i would be surprised if they even win 30 games this next season but it's your chance now to see what works together and what doesn't work. And you've got some time to really experiment with some stuff. If Jay Sean Tate is the opening day starter, I think Eric Gordon is traded before opening day is what I'll say. I, 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 I suspect that's what it means. It's possible. I, and like I said, I, I was surprised that they, I was a little surprised they didn't trade Gordon before the draft. It kind of felt like it was heading in that direction, but if I think one thing for Gordon that he's kind of said in the past is he just wants to know his role. He's never been somebody who said, I have to start. I have to come off the bench. He just doesn't want to be one of these guys who one night is coming off the bench and one night he's starting. I think that's kind of always been a little bit of frustration. So I don't know exactly where Gordon stands right now. Um, I think that he's always been a little bit frustrated at times where he might start one game and then come off the bench the next game. And I do think that he would like to 
to that, this is what he said going into last year is that he wanted to know his role and he wanted to stay in that role. He wound up coming off the bench to start last season. It seemed like he was okay with it. I don't know for sure. But then he started um, after that first month of the year and was basically a fixture in the starting lineup up until they shut him down towards the end of the year. So I don't know what they plan to do with that situation. If they decide to trade him, they decide to trade him. I think that it would probably benefit them to keep him around at least a little bit longer just because you look at their roster, they have two guys on the team who have more than three NBA seasons under their belt. And one is Gordon, the other is David Nawaba. Everybody else has been in the league three years or less. So I, I do think that you probably need at least one more adult in the room. I suspect they're waiting for the trade market to get settled a little bit before they move Gordon. And maybe there's a there's an increase in price that they can get for Gordon. You know, like if one of these teams gets KD or Donovan Mitchell or, you know, like if a big trade happens – you know, there's going to be at least from some from one of these teams, there's going to be a demand for someone like Eric Gordon, and perhaps that's where they can shoehorn in a Eric Gordon trade. Uh, but I don't know. Maybe that's not the case. Maybe they just genuinely like having him on the roster. I mean, we know for sure that you know Kelly Eco kind of uh, reported again this weekend that they had multiple first round picks um, at the draft. You know, offers um, on the table from you know like four teams or six teams or something like that. Like it was, they had a handful of teams willing to give them a first, give Houston a first round pick. Uh, so uh, I guess, I guess there's no harm in waiting till the trade deadline, but um, I I am curious to see if that ends up actually happening. If that actually ends up, you know, they actually end up waiting uh, until the trade deadline or they'd make one a move before opening day. I mean, it felt like last year they were going to trade them uh, and then kind of got the feeling towards, uh, January and February that they weren't going to trade him. Uh, and we'll see how that goes again. I mean, this time last year, I would have said 100% he was going to be traded, and he's still on the team now, so who knows? Yeah, I, I think one difference is we now know that he, uh, the team c- that has Eric Gordon can guarantee the last year of his contract. We didn't know that up until, like, mid-season or, like, January or something of last year. Of, like, you know, that, that last year can be, you know, manually guaranteed. So he has, like, an extra year artificially, right? You know, that year where there was, like, the incentive, if he wins a championship or if he if he makes an all-star team or something, you can still manually, you know, opt him into that year. Uh, but it has to be on the team end of things. So I guess that's the difference. And now he's technically on the last year of his contract or the the second to last year of his contract, and he still has two more playoff appearances left for whatever team he's on, theoretically. I guess that's the only difference, but yeah, you're right. I, I expect him to get traded to it. That, that that was weird. Well, I, I tried to tell you once we got to February that it wasn't going to happen, but you chose not to listen mm. to me. I lost that bet too. I lost that bet too. Yeah. We'll see. We'll, we'll see what happens with this one. 30 wins. 30 wins. Uh, thank you so much for coming on, Adam. Where can we find your work and uh, your social media? Uh, SportsRadio610.com. Just uh, check on the rock. Just click on the Rockets tab. I'll have everything that I, I did from Summer League. There was a story on Jabari Smith. There was a story on uh, Stephen Silas and what improvement really means to him. We finally, you know, I, I, we've been hearing about improvement and we're going to hear about it so much, but he kind of went a little more in depth on what he means and what he's expecting in terms of improvement throughout the season. And then I had kind of 10 thoughts just that, that I had from Summer League. And I also had uh, my conversation with uh, Stephen Silas that you can find on SportsRadio610.com as well. For sure. Be sure to follow Adam on all those handles uh, and read all his work, of course. Um, and 
we'll get we'll, we'll get to discussing how much our wager should be in a minute here. Uh, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. Uh, make sure to follow the Apollo Houston YouTube channel. The link is in the description of this podcast. Uh, we've had a lot of snafus here to adjusting the video, but I'll get the hang of it. I promise I'll get the hang of it. Uh, not, I, I, I owe it to my guests. We can't have technical issues like we did today. Uh, it was a little bit too much, but... Um, be sure to follow them and, and obviously watch this video uh, whenever you get the time. Um, and yeah, guys, talk to you guys on the line. <laughs>